syndrome still i have obsessive compulsive disorder still still as always still, yeah every, yeah. every bi week yeah. every other week we still have <laughs> I've, it i've had that Nothing's question changed. asked before but yes <laughs> you still have that shit happen yes I think um, it's, it's a phase you know <laughs> and this week i'm so 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 excited one of my very besties is here to talk it is sue fog ladies and gentlemen Yay! hey guys hey. hi so you might also be familiar with the podcast that Sue and I host, which is Cabernet A, about Pretty Little Liars, because we're 33-year-old grown-ass women, 33, 34-year-old grown-ass yeah. women who watch a ABC Family slash, now it's no, called Freeform. Freeform. Now we've just gone <laughs> down, it's too deep of a cut at this point. But um, yeah, so we do uh, Cabernet A, that podcast. Yes. But we brought her here today. And you brought yes. red wine for and me. Yeah. Just to make me feel comfortable. I, I love, like I now associate going on podcasts with drinking. <laughs> and I did a business one once and I got really drunk for it. And I called in and I was like, wait, I'm the only one drinking. Like, we're going to talk about social media. And I'm like, fuck yeah. Oh, I just dropped the F word. Hey, guys. Let's talk about Twitter in a clean way. Like, so wait, was that not what you guys haven't? Okay. No one else is doing shots? I just thought All that's right. what everyone uh, right, did. Sure. Yeah, yeah. No, you, yeah, you're going to be great. Um, you got to separate the, your podcast <laughs> from something. You know? Yeah. Well, thanks for coming out. I mean, you guys uh, at home are listening to this. I don't know when. It could be October for all I know. Live your life. <laughs> do what you got to do. But uh, right now, it's February, and it's like single-digit degrees out. Yeah. So thank you, Sue, yeah, for coming so it's out. Problem. It's quite cold. Here. It's cold outside, but it's warm and whiny in here. <laughs> um, so, Sue, as always, Evan and I lack a bedside manner, I guess, if you will. Okay. We, we haven't really quite found the way to sort of... <laughs> Like, tell us why you're <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so I have post-traumatic stress disorder okay. uh, and depression, you know, just throwing that in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got it when I, it all came about when I was uh, a week before my 16th birthday. I found my father dead from suicide in our garage and that messed up my adolescent mind and started all sorts of downward spiraling I can, as long as i've known you and as many times it, we, you know we've talked about this or i've also heard you talk about it it's still is even in your mind are you still kind of like is this how is this a thing that happened it sounds oh, like yeah. something it's a, it's one of those like truth is more fucked up than fiction sort of scenario well yeah it was it was the weirdest month and a half or two months of my life because my parents you know they hated each other like parents hate each other in Catholic families. Right. You know, like they, they always But there wasn't yelled. something that you expected. No, I mean, and my father always had like a bad temper, but it was always just like, oh, everyone is afraid of, you know, dropping the knife at during dinner, right? right. Like that's a thing. Like everyone's right. constantly living in fear of their father's anger. No, I didn't oh, yeah, realize no, that. Oh sure. uh, yeah, for sure. And so, um, then my father uh, became abusive towards my mom. He was always verbally abusive, mm -hmm. but he, um, she was trying to hang curtains and he threw a curtain rod like a javelin at her eye. Oh, and I wasn't in the room, thank God, but I heard her scream, my good eye, because my mother's blind in one eye. And he literally hit her in the bad eye. Oh, and um, then our life just completely changed. My mom realized that she couldn't deal with him because his anger had become so volatile yeah. and it was just a really surreal time in my life like my mom and i were sleeping in the same bed because we were so scared we got a restraining order like it just didn't feel like my life i grew up in a town uh on long island where everything was very perfect and stuff birdy and yeah. nobody really talked about problems and here i am 15 and being like hey does anybody else have this issue where you have to sleep with your mom because you're so scared that your dad's gonna break in and kill you guys <laughs> no no Me? you're okay you're just worried about that boy that you have a crush on? Have a okay. Great, have a great recess. All right. This is that. But it's such a tough age anyway for anything exactly. going on to add on such a incredibly traumatic thing. Yeah. It was, it was definitely like that's the age where you're really trying to understand how you grasp with your emotions and you, you're, you are so 
hormonal anyway because of being a teenager and it's really I feel like a lot of people go through that like oh it's so tumultuous with my friends but it was so weird because I was very much experiencing extremely grown-up frightening things you know I had cops following me everywhere because I my father was threatening to kill us and um was coming like at night and banging on the door and it was really just living in constant fear which crescendoed into his suicide and um it was just weird too because you know my family i'm the youngest of four children and my siblings had all moved out so it was very like that was going to be no my one next else question gets this, literally of, just my mom and i of like setting the scene so yeah of your family so you're you were the only one living yeah. with your parents at that time because you're the youngest yeah my sister's 12 years older than me and she was living in queens my brother uh matt was living in uh probably i guess it was like hempstead area he had just moved out maybe like a month before everything went down and then uh my brother mike had just uh gotten married and had his daughter uh he like so he was living in pennsylvania and so everyone was just kind of in their own throes of their own thing so it wasn't like we weren't there for each other but it was it was a very uh far away thing for them what was going on i'm sure it's hard for them to understand yeah not being like seeing it day to day and yeah. that was actually gonna be right. my next question is like how was the information being disseminated to them or was like was it a thing to this day is it hard for them to completely contextualize it or feel like it was a reality because they weren't there to see it the yeah. way you did firsthand i mean i can't completely speak for them but i feel like my sister had it really tough because my father was talking to her and my mom and I wouldn't and so she was very much like but he just wants to say something like oh. you know like can't you hear him out and she I was I almost def- trying to use her as an advocate yeah and I could understand why she wanted to be because she didn't see all of it and she did see his genuine I'm sure um like regret over what was going on but we were just so angry and scared that I was just like no you don't get it and I mean, my brothers were definitely supportive, but they were, you know, it was hard for them to be entrenched in it at that yeah. time. Or wrap their brains around it, yeah. I'm sure. Well, it's yeah. when it's your family, too. It's just you don't want to believe that it's really what yeah. it is. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. And it was just like a weird time. I felt like I was very much kind of floating through life and... uh it was just a traumatic moment when my finding my father, and that's really where my psychologist, my psychiatrist, my psychologist, my behavioral cognitive therapist <laughs> all agree that that's what the inciting incident was, because it just my brain just kind of froze and couldn't comprehend, and it took a really long time for it to comprehend. And uh, when you go through something traumatic, you definitely get like numb to things, and so I was just very, very numb. And I also remember just being like, all right, everybody in the family, I smoke cigarettes and everyone's going to get really used to it because I just started smoking this all is the how time. Coping. Yeah. It was literally just like, oh, everyone's just going to deal with this. And my family was like, all right, well, we don't like it, but here's back cigarettes because right, right. it's the only thing that's like making you seem normal. Um, well, I, I mean, I definitely want you to speak to the specifics about you know, what the reality of PTSD is, because I think it's also something just with, you know, most, any, all disorders that we talk about on this podcast are sort of, there's, you know, I think a misconception of them, or there's the stereotypes, or there's, you know, you think you know, but you have no idea sort of aspect. But I'd also love to hear you talk about, because I know you don't that often, um, sort of your diagnosis process, and like, I know, or you were misdiagnosed at first, right? So tell us about how that all came to be. So pretty much, I guess it started with, um, I had on the books the week before my father died, I was supposed to start seeing a psychiatrist. And because of the stress you were Because of all the stress and everything, exactly. And so um, then after my father died, I went to this care center on Long Island, um, the guidance, the Family Health and Guidance Center for Children in Crisis or whatever. Um, it was, I wish I could remember the name of it because they were absolutely wonderful. And they were like, all right, you're going to go to a psychiatrist, you're going to a psychologist, and you're going to go to group therapy. And so I was in therapy like all the time. And I really talked out a lot of stuff. 
But there was still like a lot of it that I just didn't talk about and I was just not really dealing with. And so I went to school the week after my dad died, like right back to school. Wow. And it was just one of those things where my family was like, we just have to keep going. We can't sit around and be sad. And I don't know. To some extent though, do you feel that was helpful in a way of just like trying to maintain normalcy or was it more of a like push it aside kind of thing? I think, I don't know what we could have done different to be honest. Like I definitely do feel like maybe if I stayed home, I would have been able to deal with it. But like I was going to therapy three times a week. I was doing so much of the things that you're supposed to do. And also like, I do believe that my mom had a point where it was just like, so what was I going to do? Not go to school and sit around and smoke cigarettes all day. Yeah. You know, like I should really keep going. But what I don't think anybody really expected was that I would be uh, in English class reading Antigone. And Antigone, if you've ever read it, is basically like everybody commits suicide. Right, in that right, way. right, right, yeah. right. So um, that was when I had my first flashback. And uh, they at first were like, all right, we think you have PTSD. But then when they were talking to me more and more, they were like, well, we think your father was bipolar. So you should really be checked to see if you're bipolar. We want you to go to a new psychiatrist. And I went to this woman and I remember feeling like, you know, I'm 16, I'm, I'm at this doctor by myself, and I really felt like she was telling me that I had bipolar. Like, we were, like, working together to find out that I was bipolar. She like, was she just, just like, wanted to make it be, she wanted to figure out how she could come to the conclusion that you were. Exactly. Like, I kind of felt like this is, this is totally what I am, and I'm going to make everybody happy by saying that this is what I am. It's like a, it's like a, uh, can, can, uh, coerced confession kind of (laughs) it kind of was because it was just like oh well are you very happy and then you're very sad and I'm like yeah like she's looking at and then she asked the next line of 16 year olds 15 year olds outside the door and they're like yes I'll answer that way we're fucking 15 years old okay good because I know how to deal with this (laughs) and not if it's something else yeah and um they were also really like oh well at that time I had started smoking weed too and they were like well you're obviously self-medicating you're trying to bring yourself down because you're so just so manic and I was like yeah (laughs) totally yeah I don't know but you tell me what I am sure and I mean at that time it was a so it was 1997 ish 1998 and uh there was recently a study in the times how a lot of people were misdiagnosed at that time with um bipolar especially teens and they were all given lithium and lithium like had this like new resurgence where it was like the hot drug. I don't know, maybe it was Nirvana or what, but like it <laughs> was but just like hardcore. a thing. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, lithium sounds like fun. I like that song. Let's do it. But it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's very such, heavy. Like that song. It is such a real heavy drug. And the thing is, is if you are not bipolar, it will make you manic. Oh yeah. And I thought, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm totally manic. I get, like, so hyper sometimes. No. No, no mania right. is the And six worst. years earlier, Kurt Cobain did kill himself. So exactly. it's not as, you know, yeah. we're going based on that. Yeah, yeah. lithium, not a fun drug. Um, but, yeah. Wow. So. so how long were you on that before you found? And then what was the inciting factor that you were like, uh, no? Well, I was, gosh, I had to have been, it wasn't. I wasn't put on right away after my dad died. It was probably like a year and a half after. And I was probably on it for like a month or two. Because it takes a while for like antipsychotics to build up. Right. And so I was on it and I just like was in my room pacing. And I was just like, I just want to peel off all my skin. Like I knew I didn't want to commit suicide because I had just seen how horrible that was for my family. And how detrimental it was to everyone. But then I was like, but I just can't be here like I just wanted to just get out of my body and I was so crazed and my mom was like all right we got to take you to the doctor and figure out so we went to my psychologist and she was like oh my god you want to hurt yourself and I was like no but like my brain is going insane like I'm going a million miles a minute I can't control any of my thoughts and um there is a part of my brain that's telling me to hurt myself and I know not to. Right. But it's... The compulsion is there. It's lingering. Yeah. It was just like very much just like... I just wanted to get out of my own skin. And I just remember feeling like I just want to break my bones 
and I couldn't control anything. Yeah. And I just wanted to like, and I was talking really fast and she was just like, all right, you are obviously getting manic. Um, you're not going to hurt yourself. We'll release you to your mom's care, but you have to get off lithium. I was like, great, fine, let's go off. And she's like, yeah, but you can't just go off lithium because then your kidneys fail. Ugh. You can go into kidney failure. Horrifying. So she's like, you have to be detoxed at a hospital. And I was like, I don't want to live at a hospital. She's right. like, no, 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 you won't have to, but you have to go as an outpatient every day for and like a month. Wean. Oh, wow. And like, like living in a hospital. Wow. I mean, at least it was either a couple of weeks or a month. But it was a very way. long time yeah. though. And it was, well, well, it was like basically like as long as it takes to, to, wean, off. to wean it off so that we know that you're safe. So, um, so I went to a, a mental hospital and I had to stop going to school and I wow. was either junior or senior year. Cause I remember I was taking physics and life in the mental hospital is like real, just real period it's so real it's so so crazy and i know i shouldn't say that but it's no, just no, it's, 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 it's the most insane feeling all the different types of things going on with people and i was you're really together lucky. this big group that isn't so it's like this large umbrella of like you're all quote, oh, quote, yeah. crazy you should be here but you're we all have so many with different this in so many specific ways yeah. Yeah. yeah and you don't know what everybody's crazy is you yeah. don't wear a name tag that's like i have anger issues right, right, right. or like right. all this stuff so it's also really weird and so basically the typical day at the um facility when you're an outpatient is you get dropped off you go and take roll call they like give you breakfast and then they check your vitals and like i would say like three or four times a day they check your vitals to make sure that you're okay and then everyone gets their medicine. And then you go to group therapy and you go to group therapy and you talk. And like usually the first day group, the first uh, group therapy starts out with like, we're gonna go and talk about how everyone's feeling. And so you have to like name your emotion. And there's like just this chart of like all the different emotions that you could feel. And so some people would be like, I feel angry, I feel happy, I feel weird, I feel unsettled. And like, so then, you would just try and talk about how everybody felt and try and help everybody and it was a really nice thing for a teenager in a way because everybody had a sad story everybody felt alone and like hearing it somehow made everybody feel better that it was like oh we all feel this way yeah this is yeah. this trapped horrible feeling that you feel inside is not even though it is loneliness, you're somehow together with everybody in your yeah. loneliness. Yeah. So then you would realize that and come to that epiphany. And then you would go <laughs> to um, gym. And that was like basically like a workout room with like, you know, the, the land of misfit gym equipment that nobody wanted. <laughs> like, it was just like, and there was like treadmills. Aww, and how beans. poetic. Like yeah. all like the crazy people with all the misfit gym equipment. Yeah. Everyone's just like So really like the anorexic themselves. bulimia girl was like way into it. And then like the depressive kids would sit in the corner being like, I don't want to move. <laughs> and then like there would be like the guys with the rage and like, like the, the, um, the counselors would be like, yeah, take your anger out on these dumbbells and right, stuff. Right. Or like, use the punching bag instead of a people. You know? <laughs> instead of a people. And um, then you would go to lunch and then you would go to more group therapy and then you would have your, like throughout the day you'd be pulled out for your one-on-ones and then there was like an hour of school. And school was the most weird thing because you're dealing with people who can't mentally really take a lot in Right. So it's all. What can you even tr attempt to take in in an hour? So it was like word searches and coloring books, and like it was all very like meditative. It wasn't really like maybe you would read a book, but it would be a very okay. simple book. Got it. And I would be sitting in the corner teaching myself about ohms and physics stuff because I was just like, I'm all right. Like, I can do this. <laughs> like, this is fine. And probably a good distraction to some extent. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it was just, uh, I, I never felt like I totally fit in there because I wasn't, I was one of the only people that was like a day patient. It was very it. rare to be um, allowed to come and go. So you would go and then you'd go sleep at your mom's house at your house. Yeah. Yeah. So what, okay, so that was the point to which, but was it officially sort of um, 
put out there in the world that, oh, you were misdiagnosed with being bipolar or not necessarily. It was just like lithium isn't working for Sue, but we still don't know what's happening. Yeah. So they were like, all right, so you're still like, we're still going to work off this diagnosis. So I was put on, I want to so say They still believed at this point that you were bipolar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I was putting another, it was a drug that has an R name. I, I forget what it is. It's not Rohypnol, but it was something like that. <laughs> Risperdal. That's what it was. Okay. And um, Risperdal sometimes comes up on like, you know, when you're watching judge shows and there's like oh, that, sure. like, if you took this medicine, you could be <laughs> part of this class lawsuit. <laughs> so it's one of those because it gives people um, ticks. And it was also um, both lithium and Risperdal were things where basically when you're diagnosed with bipolar, they tell you, you probably should never get pregnant. That was also really weird, being 16 and being like... Ever? 17, they were like, yeah, you probably shouldn't because you can... Get pregnant ever in your life. Because you're never supposed to go off the medicine. And if you go off the medicine, you have to go off the medicine to have a baby because it could impact the fetus. Wow. So, like, I was, like, 17 being told, by the way, probably never going to have kids. Like, we've already fucked you up. And we've decided your life for you. Yeah, like, so you can never, ever stop taking these medicines, and the hormones of pregnancy are probably going to mess you up, so probably just, like, adopt. And I was like... Like, I'm 17! Bye! It was so upsetting. I remember sitting in my my, my my room crying and just being like... This is just something that will never happen for me. A lot to take in as a 17 year old. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like real maternal and I really wanted kids back then. And so it was like something that I had to come to terms with. And I spent a lot of time in therapy talking about that instead of things that I probably should have been dealing with. Um, Well, which is, so then, so then what did happen in terms of like, how did they finally come to let go of the bipolar disorder and... I weaned myself off of Risperdal in college. and Just by yourself? Yeah. Because I was just like, I, I had a friend who worked in mental health, and I told her the story, and she was like, I don't think you're bipolar. And you were still this time believing that. So you spent yeah. years believing you were bipolar. Oh, yeah. And so she was like, I don't, I don't think you are. And then she was like, you know, it's really interesting. Your father, you talk about how your father was diabetic and he went off his medicine. So he went off his insulin. Um, he was a type 2 diabetic. And what happens is it's blood sugar and his blood sugar would drop and he would go into a rage. And so that's not bipolar. That's an abuse of like taking, it's not properly taking care of yourself as a diabetic. Right, right. So that was going to be actually, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, one of no. my questions earlier and I mean, yeah, and for, tell me if this is an appropriate thing to ask you, but I, yeah. what would you, is that what, how you categorize your father's behavior or how would you diagnose him if you could? Or do you think that's what it all now, stemmed from? Now it totally makes sense that he had just blood sugar flux, fluctuations. I mean, wow. don't get me wrong. I really do think that he was very depressed as well. And I think it is something that ran in my family, but I don't think that... Any of us were bipolar. No. It was just a combination of a few right. shades of nature and nurture. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I weaned so, myself off of okay. Risperdal, um, mostly because, like, when my friend told me that, and then I just hated my shrink that I was going to at the time because I would go there and I would tell him how I was feeling, and then he'd always just go, What else? Uh. <laughs> Evan can talk about yeah, uh, no. shrink problems all day. I've been telling him since I, I was going to say just uh, you know a therapist who I, is anti meds, so I get my meds, uh. but I don't tell my therapist about it because I'm like I don't need to be told why I'm not getting the meds. You know? Oh, okay. That's also, though, Evan, shit. you're not being fully <laughs> disclosing right now of the other things no. you lie to your therapist about. Evan with lies you? to his therapist. No, I withhold truths. <laughs> it's a fine line, Chelsea. It's a fine line. <laughs> All right. I won't blow up It's the body. meds, no. But what All else right. am I missing? I guess, I guess that is it. I guess that is it. I was thinking yeah, that's fine. No, that, that's, that's the gist of it. Anyways. So your he therapist was like, so-so. So. <laughs> but I just started making up I'm things. I'm going to text him, though, Evan, to tell the tune. Yeah. 
I started making up things to tell my therapist just to like excite him and just being like, well, let's talk about something. But that's the thing though, too, like with therapists where if, if you're seeing somebody so often and you feel like a kid who hasn't done their homework, when you come in and you don't have something immediate to talk about. Yeah. And a lot of therapists will just be like, okay, why are you talking to me? And it's like, because I really don't have anything new to say right now. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And it shouldn't be on you, it should be on them. Yeah, definitely. It took me a really long time to find the right therapist. Oh, it's a, a perfect it's an, job. Yeah, I mean, I feel like therapists that I thought I trusted when I was younger, I shouldn't have, obviously. Like, not just the woman that misdiagnosed me, but also, um, you know, I had a therapist that would tell me all of her problems. Oh, or she would just be like, I have a son your age. Why don't you help me with this issue? And then I'll help you with that <laughs> issue. I'm and I was in a bartering process. Yeah, I was like, so why am I paying $60 a week especially because in high school I would drive myself to my therapist and I had my own checking account because I um, got my father's social security checks okay so I had money but I had to use it for doctors food and clothing but not like crazy clothing but like just like oh okay this is my winter coat this is you know all these things so I was taught how to manage money at a very young age I was really like I was working, I was managing these things, and I remember being like, you you cost $60. Why yeah, am I, no, why are, I mean, I had why to put my factoring you into my budget? Yeah, I was like, I had to, I mean, I spent so much time as a teenager dealing with health insurances, trying to like justify, and to this day, I still do sometimes. I don't know if you guys ever had this where you're just like, you have to justify going to a therapist as often or unoften right, as you yeah, do. No, and I was like, I'm literally like, at, usually I win the battle by just being like, my father committed suicide. Right. Uh, like, I really need to do this. You're like, call me, call right. me, and we win again. Yeah. And the thing about the government, because I do work for social security, is that like, yeah, they're very, they're kind of dicks about like, putting under a microscope, where are you spending the money? And oh, yeah. Why? And it's like, I'm a kid. Who cares? It's not, yeah. Oh, no, I had to take it so seriously. Like, I had to meet with my social security advisor and, like, be like, yes, Mm -hmm. I understand. This is what it's for. And I, like, would have to justify. Like, I would be like, you can't write a check at, like, Claire's. Right. (laughs) Like, Macy's. And I would have to save all my... Yeah, no. It could help with your mental well-being yeah no like they didn't care about my bangle bracelets my chokers no no one understands all my black eyeliner (laughs) so what was then the defining factor like how 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 were you finally diagnosed with ptsd and then tell us about that journey and experience well when i went to my therapist that I now currently see, KKB. KKB, uh, tell them what it's Shout out to Cuckoo Bananas. Cuckoo Bananas, <laughs> KKB. Um, my best friend Dennis helped me find KKB, who actually is um, a male doctor who specializes in gay men's health crisis and addiction. Um, <laughs> two things that I do not have. Um, but uh, for some reason, totally fit in. He's like, you're basically like a gay, an honorary gay man. Which I was like, thank you. But um, when we were talking about things, I was describing to him a flashback and he was like, oh, you had a flashback. And I'm like, well, yeah, like falls difficult because the sense of falls fall really brings me back. And I just for no reason I could be having a fine day, but I will start having a panic attack and I'll start crying and I'll. You know, sometimes I'll I'll see myself back at the garage where I found my dad, and he's like, "Oh, so you have PTSD?" And you're like, and I was like, "Well, they told me that a long time ago, but then they told me I was bipolar." So, and he's like, "Yeah, that's PTSD. You definitely have that, and we can do stuff to work on it." So it wasn't until you started seeing KKB, which, well, wait, well, how long ago was that at this point? How long have you been seeing? Like eight years. Okay. Yeah, and he was the first. I didn't realize that he was, he was that unlocked that door. Sort of. He was the first one to really confirm like it, validate it as yeah. Like, like I said, like in the beginning, they were like, all right, and they did give me Xanax and, and stuff, but then they were like, you shouldn't take this. But um, th- like even my doctor. So I go to a primary care physician for my medical my brain meds, and 
And every doctor that I've ever seen is always like, oh, you have PTSD, you should definitely have Xanax. But I so rarely take Xanax. I can't stress enough. Like, people are always like, oh, you get Xanax. And I'm like, yeah, because when I have to take it, it's literally to, like, keep me in this realm. Right. To (laughs) me, it is not to take it because it's fun. Yeah, and I don't feel like... like, I never really got, like, the, like, oh, it's so mellow. I'm like, oh, my God, when I have to take Xanax, I'm like... Well, that makes you feel like real people again. Right, right. Yeah, that's, not, that's what brings I'm going me to back to Yeah, no, like, and and when it happens, it is so jarring and frightening. And like, um, uh, a friend of mine also has it, and it, it's just even to this day. You were talking earlier about like the surreal thing of like, is this even real? Like, yeah, I'm always like, do I really have this? Because I don't. I never went to war. I never. You know, it, it doesn't feel like, oh, this was so traumatic, but it's like, no, that was really, was super really traumatic. traumatic for someone to live your life in fear for, you know, two and a half months or so straight and then have it culminate in your father dying. Oh, I'm, yeah. my father's suicide note was found and he was coming to kill my mom and I. Oh my God. So that's the other thing. We were in Florida. We had unexpectedly just like, my mom's like, we can't spend Thanksgiving here. We have to, you know, get away because we're so upset. She, we didn't know if we were gonna have any money because my father was holding all of the accounts hostage. So she like cashed out some bond that she had and we flew down to see um, her brother and my uncle and we stayed down there and then we got back and that's when we found him. We were, I was on my way to find a puppy for my birthday, oh my which God. is just, just I'm everything always, about I say it is. with such a smile now yeah. because oh it's, my just God. Like, it's like, here's like, the kicker guys. Wow, <laughs> like, how's that for heightening? Right. <laughs> like it was just really just the worst day ever. And if, uh, if I, if you don't mind my asking, no. it's fine, but do you, do you think that he had intended for you to find him? Is that... That's an interesting question. What do you think his um, foresight was in all of it? You know, I definitely think he wanted us to feel very personal about it. Um, my brother was actually at the house when it probably oh, possibly happened. He was... Uh, he had a party and didn't open the garage. And we don't know oh, wow. when exactly my dad died, but he had just like... It wasn't like, oh, I had a rager, you know, yeah, like he had graduated college over, yeah. or was, you no, know, he had already graduated college. And so he just had friends over for like a Thanksgiving thing. And then, uh, so that, that messed him up a little, Not, he's fine now, but, um, I'm the only one that like really had serious ramifications, I would say, um, in terms of like mental health. Cause, um, yeah, it was just one of those things that I'm the lucky one. Um, but like we've all dealt with depression. I think it's interesting that all of my siblings who have ever had depression, we've all taken Wellbutrin. So I feel like there is something to be said about the chemical nature of depression that it's like it has to be in our makeup. Absolutely. <laughs> like cuz that's the only thing that's helped all Absolutely. of us. So, I mean, and, and they've it- taken it like very sporadically, not they they're not well, not like there's anything wrong with that. But um, no, but in a way, and that's because sometimes we ask, like, people do or don't take something for it. And yeah. I think it all depends on your situation, the person, totally. nature and nurture, just what it's mm-hmm. going to do for you. And I don't think there's any problem with any, you know, taking something that gets you at least focused on the right track. Yeah. No, it's definitely... Like, I, without medication, I am very sad, and I have a lot of t- trouble getting out of bed and moving and doing life things. Yeah. With medication, I'm more myself, where, like, I think I'm pretty much somebody who takes joys out of a lot of little things, and I think that's a lot of the way I was brought up and the stuff that did happen. Now I'm somebody that's just like, oh, my God, there's wine. Oh, my God, <laughs> there's fun nail polish. Like, this is great. This is a fun thing. We're talking and we're friends. Totally. This is lovely. Like, I'm a, I'm a happy totally. person. So totally. when I don't feel like myself, it's usually because I'm – I mean, I'm not saying, like, I, I've definitely had stretches where I haven't been on medicine and I've been fine. But I think that, you know, it, it helps. It just helps positive keep you, yeah. Consistent. the negative. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to hear you speak more to as much as you 
uh, would feel comfortable just like the specifics of the reality of PTSD because I think mm-hmm. as anything or even like you were saying like oh I didn't go to war I didn't I mean that even yeah. in itself is such a sort of like a you know maybe stereotype is not quite like the right word but you know you feel you associate PTSD with yeah like I seen some shit I was not in the trenches and it's like from, but that's not right. yeah, yeah absolutely we're conditioned to feel that way but I mean so and you know I think also with a lot of disorders they're sort of when you're looking at it from an outsider perspective you're thinking like oh what does that mean like ptsd okay you just like saw some things that made you upset you know what i mean like so speak to those people and like who don't know the reality of it best way to describe ptsd that i've come up with is it's like a really bad cut on your brain you know when you like skin your knee and sure, it's healed, but if you press it, it still hurts just yeah. as bad as the day that you got it. Yeah. So basically, I have this wound on my brain, and certain things will feel like that pressing on the wound, so it feels just like that day. And so like when I say like there's a certain fall sense yeah. that will hit me, and it's like the crispness, the crispness of the air, a little bit of like fire scent. It's very specific, but I'll get that and it will feel exactly like it did that day. And sometimes I'll get flashes of what it looked like and how, you know, when the, the cop told my mother that he was dead, seeing my mom collapse and the, the police officer and running out of the house and everybody crying like I just see everything like it's happening to me like I get kind of transported uh and it's very vivid and it's um and then sometimes you go back to that yeah and it's really a flashback yeah that's gotta be pretty dark because I know so many people are like oh I love fall and blah blah you know the the sense you described are to me like my happy sense I know and I totally love fall I do I like the crunchiness of it it's it's literally just this certain scent that I get. And like sometimes I get scared because I'll be like, oh, I feel like this is a day that, that is like that, that day. And scent is such a thing in a human experience. Oh, it's, scent yeah. is more so than we give it memory. credit for. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, and that's the thing. Like, I feel like I've weaned it down to that because it used to be like when it first happened, like no one could mention suicide. When if, or you couldn't say, I'm going to kill myself because I'd be like, oh, no. Like, yeah. And, yeah, because um, how we sort of are very, uh, you know, people. It's like a colloquialism say that. at this point. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just like I'm like, oh my god, Ugh, they're out of fucking like peppermint uh, <laughs> syrup at Starbucks. I'm gonna kill myself. You know? Yeah. It's like no, that's right that was one that I had to like really early on let go of. But it was just like little things, like you know, uh, I remember going home and seeing the garage and having issues. I remember, you know pushing the garage button would make me upset like certain sure. things would just flash to it or certain phrases that people would say and just you know like I couldn't fly into Newark for the longest time because that's where we flew into the before we found him and just like little things were always just like oh I can't do that because that's how I'll bring the bad feeling back yeah. and now I'm definitely like it's I will say a lot of work to not go to that place and I think that it's something that I'm really impressed with myself and other people with PTSD when you're able to center yourself and keep yourself in that moment like in in the present and not go back because it's really just a matter of just being like no you're here it's 2016 and everything's fine and that was a sad day and this is a good day can you speak more to that of how like like the tools that you have found that are you know yeah I think it's a lot of just you know it's a constant taking that bad feeling that you've got bubbling inside and it's you know trying to calm yourself so if in the in the analogy of the cut, it's like kind of putting like the ice on it or the neosporin. It's a mental thing that you would do where you're like, all right, I'm gonna breathe deeply. Like breathing's a big part of it. Um, and also it's just like sometimes if I get stuck in a process of thought where I'll be like, 
oh, this is like that day and that's like this day and I'll compare my life to then, I will get very anxious. And then it's a it's a lot of work to be like, I, I would say a lot of distraction and a lot of, you know, acknowledging that's how I feel, but being like, nope, we're not going to feel that right now. But sometimes if it's just real bad, like, and I, I'm the most recent one I had, I was supposed to go to QED to teach a class and there had been no one signed up for it. And I was still going to go and hang out with Cambry Cruz, the woman who runs QED. Yeah, wonderful stuff. Wonderful person. Yeah. Amazing comedy establishment in the story. And I don't even know what triggered it, but I just had the worst panic attack slash PTSD. Panic attacks and PTSD are very similar. Because so yeah, it's, speak to that more too. Yeah. Because I think, and I think in even other podcasts I've talked about this, that I'm always very intrigued to hear people talk about panic attacks because... It's, it's a nonstop a yeah. freight train where you just can't stop the thoughts. And it's different in mania because mania is like, oh, I'm just like, I'm up here. I'm going a thousand I'm miles. Per, I can yeah, do anything. Absolutely. Or it's like, or mania can also be like, I'm the worst, I'm the worst, I'm the worst, I'm the worst. But anxiety is just, you get into this cycle of thought where it's just, you can't stop thinking the negative thought and it just keeps bubbling up inside you. And you find it really hard to breathe and you just um that that attack i remember just hysterical crying not being able to stop crying not being able to sense any sense of comfort or grounding in reality just really feeling like i remember laying down in my bed and looking up at the light and just being like all right you're looking at the light everything's okay there's a ceiling there's a bed you're yeah. safe you're not in public it's okay because when it's in public it's even worse yeah. but um because when you're in public you're just like i need to run and hide and not see humans right. because no one's going to understand and uh i texted my friend and i was like this it's happening it's happening and uh a lot of times i won't want to take my xanax because then i'll be like oh well if i take my xanax i'm gonna get sleepy and then i can't go out my friend was like yeah you just gotta realize you're not going out <laughs> like, it's gonna you're- go that far my best friend Blythe was like yeah you should probably just not go out right now and it's just like sometimes you just need that person to be like yeah no this is a crazy moment and you need to stay safe and so I took a Xanax and went to sleep and woke up and I was much better but I just it's this non-stop spiral of just all the horrible thoughts and feelings just whirling in your brain and no matter how much you're like, everything's okay, I'm going to try and breathe, I'm going to try and be safe, it just crescendos in your brain. Yeah. And it's just like the noisiest, scariest, anxiety-ridden, like you're just not safe, you don't feel okay. And then sometimes there are flashbacks, um, sometimes there aren't, because I can keep focused on something in the room yeah like i was saying the light like yeah or sometimes i'll stay focused on like the date i'll say that over and over be present be here exactly as long as you can like catch yourself before you go down that rabbit hole but sometimes it's just like my brain won't like it's just too painful and it's there and it's the way you feel like I would liken it to, you know, sometimes you're watching a movie and you start crying. You're like, this isn't the saddest movie I've ever watched, but this is making me feel like crying. Somehow, somewhere deep. Exactly. And it's just like this feeling of like, well, I don't know why I'm crying, but I'm crying so much at this movie. It's similar to that on a bigger scale, but it's just like your brain like, and I'll have, I mean, I remember when I was younger, my mom would just be like, but what, what happened? And I'll just be like, I, you know, I, I touched this thing and it reminded me of that. Or somebody screamed and it sounded like dad's voice or it sounded like this bad memory or someone said these words and phrases the same way. And I mean, it's been years of like really working on and I, I feel like like so many people people might even hear this and be like I had no idea like people in my own family didn't know like my nephew found out recently and he was just like but you've never been to war like I don't understand and then he when we explained it to him he got like really worried so the eyes of a babe 
he was just like, oh, like we were watching a movie and they said like something like, oh, he's going to commit suicide. And my nephew was like, looked at me all scared. And I was like, oh, no, that's, that's not like that. It's like, it's real home. subtle. It, I wish it was that mm-hmm. obvious. Almost, right. Because it's like the subtle knives are by far the worst. Do you have an, and forgive me, our, our yeah, uh, sure. loyal fans, all two of them, will probably tweet at <laughs> me if, if they know the answer sooner <laughs> than I do. But ha- have you ever experienced panic attacks? Have we talked about this? Is that something you've ever I, I mean, dabbled in? I, I would say um, OCD to an extreme level where I couldn't function, but not in a panic attack way okay. and sort of a... I will just need to get out of this situation sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing I will say also with the flashbacks. I don't understand why people do LSD or like mushrooms. Like whenever my friends invite me to do that kind of thing, I'm like, oh, that would be horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like the opposite of fun. I'm just like, I'm the last person you want to do that with because I know what I'm like when I go into like a flash or a psychedelic thing, and it's not a healthy place. That's not a fun place. Part of my OCD has been a a paralyzing fear of of acid hallucinogenics and. I can uh, see that. Like if someone accidentally yeah. sort of yeah, slips into yeah. like, yeah. I, I feel like that's a lack of control. I can't, like, yeah. I can't control myself with OCD in normal time. Mm-hmm. Throw in, you know, something like that, I would be like, I, I, I just, that's too much. Yeah. That's oh, been totally. a paralyzing fear for a while. I've had so many friends try and convince me, though, that it would be, like, so much fun. And I'm like, do you want to yeah. hold me while I cry hysterically? <laughs> you were not in my mind. Yeah, so. like, does that sound like a fun <laughs> time? Like, this is really more on you than on right, me. Like, right. do you exactly. want to be responsible? Okay. I'm just like, do you really want to be responsible for that? Like, I'm fine with other people doing it. I'm not like, right. oh, you can't do it. Sure. That's horrible. No, I have bad flashes so no one can do it you're just like i know my limits yeah exactly so can i ask are you still and i actually can't believe i don't know the answer to this so are you still are you on wellbutrin on a day-to-day are you still Mm -hmm. are you on as a day-to-day yep i'm on wellbutrin i am i get i have i have I shouldn't say that. I have so much Xanax, but like, I, I always bring it up to the lot, class. Yeah. A lot of doctors um, will often agree with me where I say, it's just having it will make me feel better. Oh, no. That, yeah, and that that's a huge, know it's that's a big a safety thing. Net, yeah. It's yeah. just there in case yeah. I freak out. Like, yeah, sometimes yeah. I'll literally get my pill bottle out and just stare at it and be like, okay, if I need to, it's I here. can. I've actually, and I've heard that a lot, and I don't... Uh, necessarily say like I have the OCD and I feel like no I actually need to ingest the Paxil but Mm -hmm. I feel like I've met a lot of people who have uh, depression or other issues where just knowing that the pill is there can be enough to you know make it okay yeah it's it calms me down it definitely definitely does but I mean I I've taken Wellbutrin on and off for years I definitely I'm taking it now and there are also other treatments that I can do um there's like electroid therapy which isn't shock it's like a thing where you hold on to rods or something I I don't know there's just some mental stimulation thing that they do and then there's also um hypnosis which my therapist has suggested a couple of times you haven't tried hypnosis yet the thing with hypnosis is is that you have to be in a place where your brain isn't in crises, and I haven't oh, had that. Really? I didn't <laughs> yeah. realize that was part of it. No, you're, you really have to be in like a safe that and like kind of like, like a, a mellow part of your life where like things are kind of stable. That seems and I'm just like, productive or kind of like counterintuitive. If you're in that place, why do you need it then? You yeah. Kind of yeah, you're well, like, I'm good. I'm in the good place. Well, because the good thought day. is, is that they take you to that bad place. And they rile you up again, but then they show you that that's that place and that's that okay. time. And so you're able Got to it. kind of make the distinction, make the distinction of that's it. That's interesting. So, um, but okay. yeah, no, I, I haven't done any extensive treatment, but I will say that because of the progress that I've made, there haven't been any like, oh, you should really be working on this actively. Um, 
I will say though, like every doctor that finds out, they're like, please tell me you see a psychologist. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, I see KKB every other week. KKB. And like we check in sometimes on email. I'll be like, this was a bad week, KKB. We got to talk. Yeah. <laughs> and I say it just like that. Talk. <laughs> we got to talk. We need to talk. We got to talk, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a constant struggle. Some days are... Most days, I would say now, are very simple, but like other things, sometimes it just takes a little bit, and I'm like, all right, let's just keep mellow, yeah. or let's not go out tonight, because that's going to... I have slight social anxiety. Yeah. I wouldn't say too bad, but if I'm going to a place yeah. where there's going to be a crowd, I don't like it, because yeah. I think it's because I've had... I had, the, I had the PTSD flash, the first one in my English class, then I had another one at Warped Tour, um, and that was real, real bad. Like, cause I was on like Randall's Island or something where it wasn't like, oh, we can just go home. It's fine. And there were like so many people and it was so crowded. And so it takes me, sometimes I'm always like, oh yeah, I want to go to a concert. And then I'm like, oh my God, there's going to be so many people. Right, right. If I get well, upset, there's nowhere to go. Yeah. Everyone should have that. <laughs> I, I, well, I was going to say, I feel like that could set off a lot of triggers. That's just a crowd of people you don't know <laughs> yeah and so that's something that like i'm always like yeah no i want to do that and i'm like do i do i really so what would you like i guess to say to anyone listening who has someone in their life with ptsd or has even been curious about ptsd um i think i would that's a great question i would definitely say you know if they've obviously never been to war don't ask them if they've been to war <laughs> I don't, um, but, I don't but even if they have been to war, I think the thing that's really important is just to explain, to understand that it's not a constant daily thing, but it's a constant daily struggle. You know, you're, you're always worried that that's going to happen again, but you're a normal person. Yeah. I would say I, it's just something that's really painful and some days it's really easy to talk about and other days it's not so easy to talk about. I mean, I'm very comfortable at this point talking about my father's suicide, but I don't tell a lot of people. There was, I would say my early 20s, I would tell everyone about it. I really? just wanted people. I thought it was the most important thing about me. Interesting. Because it was something that changed my whole it chemical was the makeup. The defining factor, yeah. And now I feel like I people are like, oh wow, I didn't even think to ask if your father was even alive or not. Right. You know, like oh oh, your dad's dead. And what do you think changed about, or what do you think changed in you that you were like, oh maybe this isn't something that necessarily defines me as a person with a capital D? I think. Uh, comedy probably helped a lot because as comedians I think we all know that like ever we're we're all kind of crazy and I think there was a place where I started this podcast where I found other people who coped with humor and I found a way to because my family copes with things with humor too so it was just like oh here's a whole group of people where I can talk about something horrible and then laugh about it and they totally understand that response. Right, and it's not just a defense mechanism, it's like a catharsis. Exactly, and it was just really hard because I I spent a lot of time being like, oh, this is funny. No, it's okay, we can talk about it, it's funny. And when I finally got into the comedy community and I realized, oh, here's a bunch of people who are, you know, for lack of a better word, damaged in some sort of way, we have some sort of odd oddity about ourselves and the way that we see the world. And then I was just like, all right, well, this is a community. Right. And kind of the same way as I did when the hospital, it was like, oh, okay, we're all feeling weird and we all see the world very differently and that's okay. So I'm, I can feel like this is just who I am. I'm just a, right. this, I'm just this person. That was something that happened. And there are so many other things that will happen and change. Right. Um, the question is to realize that we forgot to ask our two weeks ago our, our podcast that we also did this same day but <laughs> will you listening at home will have heard two weeks ago was our signature question if you could sue snap your fingers mm-hmm. and not have to deal you started with PTSD. to ask it and then it but it was and kind of, we kind of derailed one, yeah. but if you could you know go back in time or even snap your fingers at this very moment and erase that and not have to deal with PTSD or depression or anything would you choose that route or do you feel like it's sort of 
That's a great question. Has shaped you as a person? I don't know if I could. Like, I think that would just be a weird sense of myself. I don't know if I would be the it's same It's hard to person. imagine how you'd even be. You're like, yeah. what would I even, like, that's why I always say, well, like, what would I even like think about think or what would I like, be like? Everything has made you who you are, and yeah. you don't want to not be who you are. Exactly. It's shaped you like, in certain ways. I think yeah. that if you asked me this, like, two decades ago I would have been like yeah fuck yeah like or I don't know how long ago it was but like you would have been like yeah hell yeah because you might not have said fuck back then you know oh I always said fuck I had a mouth like a sailor um but I I I definitely I mean I would like to have not gone through that trauma and things change like I think more about um what it would have been like if my dad didn't commit suicide and had help that he needed more than myself having PTSD. I would say like, I would change that. And that's where I think it would be different where I'm like, oh, I wish that we could have, and and there was nothing we could have done. I think when it's a, it's a sad truth and something that I don't know how we're going to fix in society, but when people want to end their lives, they're going to end their lives and it's very hard. And I don't know what will change that, but um, if if it was possible, I feel like I would rather do that than take away. And I think that would have taken away my PTSD. But at this same point, like I've learned to live with it, and it's not my favorite quality about myself. But I do think that it helps me understand and see the world in a little bit of a different place. I think I'm definitely more empathetic when people yeah. tell me they've got. Yeah. any sort of mental issue I'm just like oh okay you've had that moment where you felt really awkward and you couldn't control your brain yeah. and I know what that's like I'm right there that's why I was well, no. to you I feel like it shaped my empathy for sure and it, and it speaks to the therapy you've gotten that you're not blaming yourself and that you're not oh, in, yeah. in a bad you're not to say you're not in a bad place but mm-hmm. you that you're able to deal with it on this level that. Yeah, I, I I thank therapy, and I I'm a big I, I don't understand why everyone's not in therapy. Like I, we always talk about that. Yeah. I think I it's yeah. so <laughs> it's just really good to have a neutral third party yeah. to tell your feelings to and not be judged because I think so often people you feel ridiculous about your feelings because a lot of feelings are really weird like it's super like why am i upset when you know my boyfriend doesn't get me the ice cream that i want why am i upset like there are just things that upset us that we don't know how to put into words and if we told somebody who wasn't going to get mad at us and they could help us unpack that feeling what a relief Right. Like what what a catharsis and i feel like you know i do behavioral cognitive therapy where I, I, you set goals and you're like, all right, this is something that I want to be able to better manage. So how am I going to better manage it? And yeah. it's not saying it's going to go away. It's like, all right, here are ways that we can deal this week with it. And here are ways that we can try and set goals for ourselves or, you know, not put too many goals on yourself. So, yeah. 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 Well said. Yay, I therapy. Like, uh, yay, therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Tell people then how they can find more of you, Sufang. How they can uh, um, cherish you. <laughs> Basically, plug your shit. Uh, I'm on all social media platforms as the Sufunk, uh, F-U-N-K-E, uh, and I am at QED every month for my show Happy Place Comedy. Yes. Which, if you're listening to this, maybe you need a happy place after there you to go. go. <laughs> It's or the Tri-State area. Yeah, so it's in Queens. It's the third Thursday of every month at 9 p.m. And uh, Cabernet and A. Yeah, listen to Cabernet and <laughs> A. On Stitcher, Podbean, and iTunes. <laughs> listen to not only this podcast, but our, our other podcasts and help me feed my cat as a single mom. <laughs> yeah. And then help Sue and I feed our wine and uh, cheese addiction. Yeah. I feel like my stomach's growling, Sue. I feel like we should like... Oh, we're going to eat a lot of food. We should go home and we should eat some Valentine's Day food. I'll have to watch that show. I've never seen it. I mean... Uh, Pretty Little Liars. Once you start, you can't stop. Evan should be on Cabernet in the in-between season. In the in-between seasons, we have people who have never seen Pretty Little Liars watch an episode from the past and just speak to how insane it is. Yeah, because it's pretty absurd. Yeah, it's pretty it's crazy, like, so. a lot of people liken it to passions that like, I remember, really I, I did not After Days of Our Lives on NBC. I remember everyone talking about it like, yeah. 
How do you make his soap opera even more? There was like a live vent- ventriloquist dummy like yeah, midget Timmy. situation. <laughs> Timmy, that's right. It's Timmy. Yeah, no, it was the weirdest show ever, and it's not unlike Pretty Little Liars. Kent, our producer, did you watch Passions? He didn't. He says no. No. I feel like Uh, Kent was way too cool for that. Kent was definitely too cool for fashions, but I feel like I want to believe if he watched it, he would have been into it. (laughs) Uh, You guys, thank you for joining us for Call Us Crazy. As always, thank you to Funk for something. I appreciate it. On Valentine's Day, even though wherever you guys are listening, it's like August. uh, You can't love yourself. How in the hell are you going to love anybody else? Hell yeah. There you go. All right. Thank you guys. We'll see you in two weeks. Call Us Crazy. guys, I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Philip Cassell. And we're here from The, the Bitch, Bitch Seat, the podcast. It's an interview show where we talk to guests about the horrible and beautiful parts of their youth. We like to think of it as an adult talk show and tell. A grown-up show and tell. There you go. Like that. So for a teaser, here's some magnetic poetry that I wrote on my fridge when I was 12. Hit it, Phil. Dreams of whispered music felt snow white and lathered me in delirious symphonies. The ache within is black and bitter. A thousand frantic shadows scream and chant bitterly. I sleep on a lake of a thousand diamonds. You were 12? Yeah, I was way ahead of my time. Fair enough. Tune in. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!